read this word here. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by, led up, up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Then Jesus, or Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now then Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. He departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, there's our key word, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have even have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. But when he said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and, and, brother, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee as their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your amazing word. And Lord, we want to be made more like Jesus as a result of it this morning. Would you fashion us and conform us into the image of your son? Make us closer to him. Help us to see where we're in pride or we're in sin or we're being self-dependent. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to deal with temptation well, biblically and of you. So we pray that you would guide us and lead us, Lord. 
We thank you that you give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you're the one that gives us victory in sin. And we recognize that publicly. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Chapter 4, verse 1, we begin with it saying, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's very important for us to see in verse 1 who's leading whom. The Spirit, notice, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's an incredible connection between chapters 3 and chapter 4. We can't separate the victory that we saw in chapter 3 with Jesus' public ministry, who he is, uh, his, his just everything that the, the Father validated. Remember, this is a, a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew, the Messiah. So he's constantly trying to give biblical support He's trying to provide evidence for Jews to see that this is the long-awaited Messiah. And part of this whole inclusion of, of Jesus' baptism that we saw last week, and also the Father speaking and the dove descending, was to validate the Messiah in the eyes of the Jewish reader. And that's what we saw. But here, right immediately after this, you see the Holy Spirit lead the Lord Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the big question is, why did he do that? He doesn't seem to give us an explicit answer in the scriptures. Some say it's to prove that he wouldn't sin. Others say to prove that he couldn't sin. There's all this doctrine of impeccability and non-impeccability and all this stuff. The point is, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. (laughs) He was, I'm going to make this simple for us, because people complicate it. The Holy Spirit led the Lord Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was tempted by the devil, and he was victorious. There's lessons that we can learn from that. And, and, and so he wants us to learn those things because he has included it in his word. So that's what we're going to look at. But it is interesting that after this great experience of being baptized to fulfill all righteousness, as he said to John the Baptist, or baptizer, however you want to refer to him. After that, God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, God's in charge of our lives, and we're, we're supposed to pray, Lord, deliver us, don't lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And God doesn't want to lead us into temptation, and, and so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking for protection against the enemy. But God can use even the attacks of the enemy for his purposes in our lives. Because all things work together for good to those who are called called according to his purposes. Romans 8.28. So because of that, God will take advantage of anything that happens in our lives. And it it seems to be a, a, a general pattern sometimes in our lives where we have a great spiritual victory. We have great spiritual conquest. Something great happened in our life. God really worked in our lives. We can't deny it. It's just so easy to see. People are celebrating. Sometimes they may not be celebrating. Sometimes we're the only ones celebrating how God works in our lives 
think your family is all happy that you're getting sold out to be a Christian. Like, well, we kind of liked you as a drug addict. We don't want you to go into this stuff. They'd much rather have your life destroyed by sin, sometimes it seems, because they're not thinking the effects of it, than to be one of those people. One of those people that politicians trip over when they're trying to describe if there are one or not. You know, are you a Christian? Well, I have a paragraph statement that will give you the exact wording on what I should say right now. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't care if I'm running for office. I'm, I'm not ashamed of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we have a need in our lives to know that when we have these spiritual victories, we have to be on guard against attacks because there's mountains and there's valleys. So as it's been said, you're either coming out of a trial, in the middle of a trial, or just coming into a trial. Because <laughs> we want the Christian life to be just straight up climb, no valleys. But that's, that's not the deal. That's not what we signed up for. Hopefully the person that led you to Christ explained that Jesus said, in this life you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He doesn't want to stumble over bad things happening to us. He said, you're going to face difficult times. It's going to come. We live in a fallen world. He hasn't taken away the curse from the fall. So things are backwards, and then we have the enemy on top of that. We have to deal with all the things the rest of the world deals with, but we have to fight our flesh, we have to fight the devil, and we have to fight the world's philosophy or the world's ways of doing things that, that puts pressure on us to capitulate or to, to, to um, you know, give in and so forth, especially related to our children. Start lowering the bar with our children and the standards in the home. And, and we're very tempted to do so. So often we're wanting to be everybody's friend instead of somebody's parent. And God um, has a way of coming in and saying, I've called you to be their buddy. I've called you to be their parent. So here we have this, this mountaintop experience. Then he goes right into uh, this temptation there. And it's a, it's a test. There's awesome, also sometimes a test where we have a, a mountaintop experience and then he tests that. And when he tests things, he's just making them better in our lives. Like you would test a metal. You're, making, you're getting all the impurities out. And it's, it's a test. And as we communicate tests, like, well, God wants to find out if I'm going to do. No, God knows what you would do. He knows the future. He knows you for, before the foundation of the world. It's not for him to find out. It's for you to see. So we go to a men's retreat. We go to a women's retreat. We get warned, warned by our leaders. Things are going to get, we're going to get smacked hard when we get back home and we don't yeah yeah spiritual people are always eh. and then we get home and bam and we're not we're getting hit left and right and we're wondering why is this happening and then we just hear this echo of Reuben's voice in our head (laughs) I told you man told you it's gonna be coming we could even go multiple years and see it every year and still not even paying attention there are times with spiritual warfare, I'll go two or three days and I'll mention to my wife, hey, spiritual warfare. And then we'll both start laughing because we totally forgot about even thinking about it. And we'd be getting pounded, 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 pounded by the enemy. And so there we go on our knees and starting to pray and starting to seek the Lord and all the things that you need to do. Now, the first test is in verse 2 and 3. It says, and when he had fasted and prayed... Forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. He's a human. He's talking about his humanness. 
Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if, notice that word if, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be, uh, become bread. So this first test for the Lord Jesus had to do with appetites. He was weak physically. And I know I get really a lot of things when I haven't eaten. Get grumpy, get all kinds of things. The biggest thing that I, happens when I get hungry is I'm wanting to say I want more food. But besides that, um, you know, I'm just kind of grumpy or whatever, and I want food. And so here he is. That was a joke, by the way. But um, no courtesy nods, nothing. I'm just left hanging up here. But anyway, I know you love me. But, but I said, the notice the word if there. If you are the son of God. He's casting doubt. Casting doubt on who Jesus was. If you are the son of God. That's what he does. He casts doubt. And we hear this in our minds and in our hearts. And our own sinful nature can do it uh, more than any other time or any other person. Where we hear this or we feel this or we sense this as believers. If you're a Christian, then why are you doing this? You're a hypocrite. You have no business being around those other Christians. They're different than you because they don't really know who you really are. If those Christians at that church really knew who you really are, then they wouldn't want you around them because they're the kind that actually obey God's word, unlike you. Anyone heard something similar to that? Let's raise our hands here. Oh, come on. Come on. Yes. Similar. I'm not saying exact. So sometimes, and I have to encourage people, when I fall forward towards the Lord. Don't fall away from the Lord and away from his people. When you fall, fall towards the body of Christ. Fall towards the church. If you were to go into a hospital and you were, you had a broken arm and it was really hurting, you need to get it fixed, you went in the emergency room, but you made it look like there's no possible way that they can see that you have a broken arm. And you're just there pretending like your arm's fine. You're trying to lean on it to try to, try to show that it, there's no problems, you know? So you're like, you know, trying to... No, my arm's normal. Really, it is. It's like going in half. and Your arm's not normal. What's wrong with it? I don't want to be a hypocrite. But aren't you here in the <laughs> um, emergency room? Isn't this the place where we fix arms? You're not being a hypocrite by admitting that your arm's broken in this emergency room because that's what this is for. This is for to help you with your problems like this. And that's how it is for church. Coming to church when you're struggling with sin doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It's when you're acting like everything's fine when you come to church in that condition that you're a hypocrite. The word hypocrite means an actor. So to come and you need prayer, say, hey, I'm struggling, I need prayer. You're not being a hypocrite. You're not acting like the man that was nothing wrong with his arm. You're, you're saying, <laughs> my arm's hurting here. And you're not being an actor pretending to be well when you're not. So we should be a place where when you're struggling, you come here. The more, the more you struggle, the more you should want to be around other believers for help. It's when you don't want help, which is true for all of us at times. We just love our sin. Then we isolate away so that we don't have to deal with anyone telling us you know, what we already know is true. So it was, this was a timed attack. The enemy has great timing, doesn't he? It's when we're weak and vulnerable. We haven't had a lot of sleep, haven't had a lot of food, maybe sometimes at night. Sometimes our emotions flood our hearts at night. 
and everything that's going wrong with our lives seems to coalesce and the enemy seems to be able to put some kind of spotlight on it, or at least our flesh can, and it just seems worse at night and we get depressed. Then we start doing things we shouldn't do to try to deal with it. Instead of going, opening up this book and saying, God, help me right now. I need your help. Or calling a friend, texting a friend. I need prayer right now. For what? Oh, I don't want to share. Well, that's fine sometimes, but sometimes we need to share. We need to have friends that we can share those things with so they can be specific in their prayer for us or have a specific verse for us when we're struggling. So that's very... It's not by accident that he had timed this attack. After all, these attacks didn't happen until after this time of fasting and, and, and so forth. Look at his answer in verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now you would think that the Lord Jesus would just go like flick him, you know. Or, or a thunderbolt. We had thunder here a couple nights ago. It was pretty gnarly. I'd never even seen thunder here that much, ever. I've lived this area my whole life. And I just, the thunder, I was just thinking, you know, hearing the Father say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, or all the times that he spoke there. Amazing to be able to hear that. So we have um, this struggle because we sense our needs we're vulnerable, we're maybe discouraged, and we've isolated ourselves. The number one thing the enemy wants to do is isolate ourselves. That's why we're so big on, and God, and more importantly, how God's so big on consistent fellowship. If you're not consistently fellowshipping, you're going to be more vulnerable than if you're not consistently fellowshipping. And it could be on during the week, it could be on Sundays, it could be having meaningful fellowship with another believer. Having fellowship with another believer is not just talking about football or talking about current events or, you know, politics or anything. It's about talking about the themes of the Lord. And then that's when something spiritual happens between me and another brother or sister. We get spiritually built up. That can happen over the phone. It can happen anytime, but we need to reach out. So Jesus could have reacted any way that he could have wanted to. But he wants that word of God to be the way that we respond. Hold up your Bible for a moment. Give me a wave offering. This is it. This is eternal. This will outlive the heavens and the earth. Sorry if you have an app. You're holding up that app. (laughs) Not at a concert, but you told me to hold it up. The one thing I like about the book, first of all, I can be a conspiracy theorist because I've seen a lot of conspiracies in here. And I just think, you know, what if they got all the Christians to get rid of these all went to apps, and then they say, guess what? We're getting rid of the app. Boop. No Bibles. It's just me and my conspiracy theories. But the greatest thing about books is that you picture it in your mind. You see the big picture. I remember my first Bible. I could picture different passages in my head and know and so forth. It's hard to do that with an app. But I know it has its place, so don't worry. I'm not going to get all legalistic on you um, (laughs) about an app. But I think the book is very, very good. This is called the book. Bible in Latin means book. Am I, this isn't a rant, trust me. Uh, the, the, the Bible, the word biblios is the Greek word, but Bible is Latin for the book. I don't think there's any app in that language there, but anyway, so, anyway. Man does not live 
shall not live. Notice there, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, we wouldn't think that we'd be very healthy if we went out eating, stopped eating for a long period of time. We wouldn't expect our bodies to be healthy. But somehow we expect ourselves to be healthy spiritually, but we're starving ourselves spiritually every day. And so we need to have that time with him every day. Don't get caught up on, it has to be a certain time or I can't have it at all. Men are great for that. We're great at all, being all or none. Oh, we can teach classes on it. All or none, all or none. I can't do the 30 minutes or the 45 or the hour, or, you know, in Gary's case, the five hours, you know. You know, this, the, he laughed harder than anybody, just for the record. Uh, but, the, the, you know, it's, it's a matter of, remember, it's not a religious system we're in the middle of. It's a person. What if you said to your wife, you know, honey, I'm going to discipline myself to spend 10 minutes a day with you. How would that go over? Probably be, you know, having some problems. It's a love relationship. If you, I know it's our sinful nature that doesn't want to spend time in the word. That's what's stopping us. Can we just be honest? With the, you know, this is a, a living room here. We're a family. Let's be honest. It's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is confronted big time when we open this up. Our sinful nature does not want to be dependent upon God. Our sinful nature doesn't want anything correcting it. Saying that you should, because this book is telling it to, to, for us to kill it every day. To put it down. To take up our cross daily and follow him. To live the life he's called us to live. The supernatural life that this world needs to see. They don't see a supernatural Christian church right now. And that's in part what God wants to reveal in these last days. Signs and wonders. Signs point you somewhere. Wonders make you wonder. But it all backs up what we're saying. So, very important for us to understand. We can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need a constant diet on God's word. And I've seen people try so hard, myself included, doing shortcuts. You know, biblical cliff notes. Little snippets here and there. Little fragments of some half of scripture. It's fine. To a point, it has its place. But dig in that word. Spend time in that word. Look at your life. Look at what you're engaged in. What you're spending your time doing. What your kids are spending their time doing. Look at your priorities. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Is it 7th? Is it 6th? Is it 4th? Is it 12th? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the things that we seek after in life, financial things, and all these things that are so important to us, that are important to a point, we put those things ahead of spiritual things. And then we wonder why we're not growing and we're, we're, we're just as mature as we were three years ago or two years ago or last month. When he says, no, feed on my word every single day. But this is how he dealt with Satan. He said, for it is written. Jesus quotes the word of God. That was his main weapon. He was taking, I'm not going to get into Star Wars or whatever, but it's like that lightsaber. You know, I'm trying to modernize. I'm trying to be culturally relevant with my sermons. So, you know. Um, you know, but it's supernatural. No one's ever done that, and I know why now. <laughs> but sword, sword of the Spirit, so which is the Word of God. Take it out. Lumbering, uncoordinated, whatever. You just 
bam, just doing offensive damage, just doing spiritual smackdowns, you know, throwing out some Holy Ghost grenades and let's get out, let's get, let's get the weapons out. And for Ephesians 6, he says, it is written and it's powerful enough to work. How much confidence do we have in this Bible to work? Does it work every time? Sometimes? One out of ten times? Nine out of ten times? It'll accomplish the purpose it's sent to accomplish, Isaiah said. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll work in our lives and the lives of others. So he could have done all of this. He could have just made Satan go away, but he chose not to. He's, he's being an example for us, for it is written. There's a lot of ifs. If you are this, if you are that, and we need to know who we are and not listen to those lies. Verse 2, or second test rather, in verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy silly. I have a lot of other sound effects, unfortunately. I have um, a lot of worthless skills. So, um, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Second test. So we see here that Satan went to Sunday school. Satan knows the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. This is Psalm 91. He's completely misapplying this scripture. He's leaving things out. That's why you see the and there in the verse, in verse 6. He's leaving something out that would have been helpful, <laughs> but he left it out because he doesn't want to be helpful. So he broke it up into two parts, ignoring the, the context and so forth. And there's a difference between jumping off the temple and falling off the temple. Possibly if one of us fell off the temple that God may save our lives supernaturally. But this is different from me going to the top of the temple and just going, okay, where's my GoPro cam? I'm going to put it on and just watch. I'm going to just tempt God and that's, let yourself go. That's tempting him. So we can't misapply scriptures just like the enemy does. But he knows the scriptures. He can twist the scriptures and he can apply them in such a way that can mislead us. And so we, shouldn't, we should be aware of that. So he says, that's the lie. But then notice his response in verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again. So he's quoting the scriptures again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he's kind of meaning it in a, in a double way. Because you shouldn't tempt the Lord with his actions, tempt the Father, but also Satan should be, shouldn't be tempting God because Jesus is the God-man. He's the, he's the God the Son. So it's kind of like a double meaning, uh, double meaning. But again, he quotes the Word of God, quotes Scripture. Now, I don't think he had an app at that time, and I don't think he even had a book. He is the Word of God. He could just quote the word of God. We need to put the word of God in us because when lies come, we need to reject them. I was told as a new believer, it's like when you're in the grocery store and you have a toddler in the grocery cart, usually, you know, uh, belted up, 
like they could go through a, a roll, four-point roll like a, like a NASCAR, and they'd still be safe because all the, you know, the safety things, which is fine. But just they're, they're in there, buckled down, and you're going through a grocery store, and you get to the checkout line, and you have all this stuff that you never even wanted in there. It's like, where'd that come from? Well, they thought we needed that. They just they didn't understand that, you know, we had to pay for things. We just take things whatever we want. So for, related to our minds, we, God's called us to give, uh, uh, work on, have him work on giving us a disciplined mind. Because there are thoughts that come into our head that are like that toddler putting things in that cart. So we're either going to let those things stay in that cart, and when we do that, we're sinning. That's when sin starts. Not the thing just entering in. It's when we allow it to stay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we're supposed to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If it's godly, if it's of God, if it, if it lines up with his word, it gets to stay. If it doesn't, we reject it. And sometimes that process, especially as you first start doing it, you'll be doing that 30 times on one issue maybe for a while but after a while you 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 think later on oh that I, I that did work i forgot about it and i'm going on to something else and then you you honored the lord during that whole time he was interested in every part of that and it blessed him that you decided to have a holy mind and cast these things down but as you fill your mind and dwell with fill your heart with things that are of good report and praiseworthy and all these things that he tells us in philippians to fill our heart with so we don't have just this vacuum we have a lot of things to meditate on, like scripture. When you're getting tempted to start quoting all the scripture you've memorized, that's a good way to motivate the enemy to leave you alone. Every time I mess with this person, he quotes scripture, like long portions of scripture. I don't want to hear that. So I'm not going to leave him alone or whatever. So um, still quote, uh, quoting scripture. Now the third test, verse 8, he says, And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't say, you have no authority to give me this. It could have been true. But he doesn't seem to argue with the fact that Satan can, has been given a certain jurisdiction to be able to, to allow in God's sovereignty certain people power. And I believe that ultimately God raises up whoever he, he allows to raise up for his ultimate purposes. He holds, it says that he holds the heart of the king in his hands. That's the current uh, encouragement for us as we see this world go downhill. We know scripture. We know where it's all leading. We know there's going to be a battle between Russia and Iran and other countries, and they're going to attack Israel, and God's going to do this supernatural smackdown, and it's going to be obvious to all that it wasn't Israel alone that did it, that it was God. That's coming. I don't know if it'll happen before the rapture or not. People debate upon that, but you can see those relationships forming, coming together, and, the, and Turkey, which is one of those countries, is, is not part of the East, uh, European Union, and they're very Muslim now, so you have them and Egypt and these other countries, they're starting to come together and and so there's going to come a point where all this just just completely gets unleashed and and so he's offering if you just worship me right now you know and the mormons think that jesus and satan are brothers they're spirit brothers and um you know lucifer had the inferior plan of salvation so he went with uh 
Jesus's plan of salvation, but they're spirit brothers. That's what they believe. That's what they teach. And so here you have Satan who's created, wanting the creator to bow down and worship him. And that's completely false. We read it when we went through Revelation chapter 11. We read in verses 14 and 15 that, that this will happen, that Jesus will rule over the nations. Because it says, the second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there, will, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have been become the kingdoms of our Lord and, our, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, at this point in the Gospels, Revelation hadn't been written yet. That's 30 or 40 years from now. But the Lord Jesus knows, being God, that he's going to rule over everything. So he didn't need a fallen angel to give him something. So obviously that was, uh, you know, inferior and not going to happen. But it was kind of like a shortcut. Sometimes God shows us something he's going to do, and we get ahead of him, and we kind of tr- provide a shortcut, and it always, ba- you know, it always uh, backfires. Abraham did that with, with uh, um, Ishmael. You're trying to help God out. God had promised a son for Sarah. They were old, and he just eventually got worn down and tried to help God out with Ishmael. And Ishmael and that whole line gives us the whole problem that we're dealing with now around the world in terms of Islam is extremists and, and people following what the Quran really says. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of you know, God's plans for us and Satan's plans for us. And we want to weigh out those things. And we, we don't want Satan's plans anywhere near our lives. But sometimes when God says this is going to happen, we want to take a shortcut and speed things up. And I've noticed in my own life the train wreck that that is, trying to speed up what God wants to do and get ahead of him. At the same time, we can do the other thing where we hold back too far. So there are no shortcuts. And um, the Lord Jesus modeled that for us. So he finishes it in verse 10. He says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, every time he quotes scripture, every single time he quotes scripture. Now, we're never told in scripture anywhere to address Satan or demons. Possibly in an exorcism when you're casting demons out. But in terms of just spiritual warfare, there's all kinds of people that talk to Satan, talk to demons, they rebuke Satan. They rebuke demons. We're never told to rebuke them. What we're told is, is to resist them. That's what we're told explicitly in Scripture. To resist the devil and he will flee. And other things as well. But see here, the devil, he had to go away. He went away from the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, we're told that. That he, that he, that he left. And so that means he's not omniscient. He's not everywhere at once. Or he's not all-knowing. He's not, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He can't read my mind. A lot of people ask me, can Satan read my mind? doesn't say anywhere he can read our minds. But he knows us so well in terms of, and I, when I say him, I mean all of the demons. Hardly, it's probably really rare that Satan himself would mess with any of us. I mean, we don't know. He, but he can't be everywhere at once because he's, he's finite. But he's probably dealing with Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or, you know, people that uh, make far bit more of a difference than, than we do. You know, it's possible. But we still have his uh, demons that attack us and so forth. And, and 
you know, we have to be, you know, willing to deal with that. There's no, the devil made me do it. Because that's blame shifting. And I would say a lot of believers, and I used to be one of them, blame way too much on the enemy when it's their, um, their sinful nature. Because we're just told to resist the devil. Turn with me just real briefly to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So that explains it, exactly what's going on here. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own. Notice the word own own desires and enticed so we have our sinful nature that doesn't need any help to sin and it has desires to be fulfilled and so temptation from without by a demon or satan if you thought you were that important maybe you are uh, he will entice you and make things look really good lie to you in the process but he doesn't make you do it he doesn't, he doesn't uh, make you sin. And we want to blame Satan for sin, and God never does that. We're the ones that make that decision. We're the ones that choose to sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my brethren, flee from idolatry. So there's always a way of escape. God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond the capacity to... And, and many times it manifests itself in the situation where you, you know, you're getting ready to go... Let's say that you're getting ready to go into uh, you know, a nightclub or something and you know what you're going to do when you go in there. And then right before you go in there, there's a, your friends drive by, Hey, what are you doing? Oh, oh, this is a nightclub. I'm sorry. I thought it was like the AMPM or something. Yeah, I'd love to go with you. You know, let's go. Let's get out of here. This is weird. I'm lost or something. You know, I mean, I mean, you're, 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 there's ways of escape. God's mercy. You get a text from someone. I'm praying for you. And just that alone goes, what am I doing here? I mean, there's, how many times have you experienced this? Raise your hands. All, hands going up all the time. So if you're not raising your hand, you either sin all the time and you don't have an ever escaped or you never sin or something. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I know, it's all, I know we're all in that boat. But it's, I'm telling you, as you resist sin and desire to do what's right, he does provide escapes for us. It's beautiful. And he's just his father's heart. He just loves us. So now you can go back to our uh, chapter 4. Verse 11 says, Then the devil left him, and behold which means carefully consider, carefully consider angels came and ministered to him. So he was so weak physically, emotionally, who, who knows? All, I mean, he's, remember, he's all God, all man. And they came and they ministered to him, which means they served him, whatever he needed. It's beautiful. Now, in the passage, 
there's a time, we're getting ready to hit this time marker. I went over when we first started that the Gospels can be followed by these major markers that they all follow. And the first one is in verse 12 where it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light, capital L, light has dawned. So you see that when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, in all four Gospels, When that happens, you see that Jesus begins his public ministry. That was the sign to him. Somehow, he knew that when John was put into prison, that's when he was, not not that he didn't do anything before this time at all. I'm just saying that's when the, you know, he really focused on beginning his public ministry. Look in verse 17. It says, from that time, It's very important. You can underline those words. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, rather, is at hand. So we're going to see in Matthew 16, him say from that time again, which is going to mark the next third of this time frame here. And that's when um, you start to see the opposition uh, to his death and, and and all this and the crowds, you know, they start dying down and so forth because the, there's three phases. There's there's the the year of um, obscurity, the year of popularity, and the year of opposition. And that his, his ministry basically is divided up into thirds. So at this point, he's beginning this this year of popularity. The crowds are going to get so big, so huge, and it's going to climax with him multiplying the loaves and the fishes for the first time, the 5,000, and they're going to want to take him by force and make him king. Then he starts weeding people out. He says hard things. He starts withdrawing himself. He loses disciples. So now we're at the beginning of that arc. Remember I showed you that arc? We're beginning down here to start. We're getting, and then we're going to be heading up to the top until we reach that that climax or that uh, conflict that happens that begins the part where he starts having that opposition all the way to the last week of his public uh, ministry. Verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, they, and then they immediately, notice the word immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed him. So he's starting to call his disciples. It's the beginning of his public ministry. There's these two brothers, Simon and Peter. Now, there's, there's other things that have already happened by this point that we'll see when we get to the book of John. In the book, in the Gospel of John, that's when he really has his first contact with his disciples. We see that in chapter 2 through 4 in the book of John. You can read it, and you can read what happened in between um, what we covered and what we're covering now. There was a little gap. 
So this is more of a, a public calling or so forth, and he's, he's really focusing on calling them out of the context that where they lived and worked. So they were fishermen. Now, fishermen today, I don't know how you would rate fishermen in, the, in terms of the status meter, you know, but they, they're probably not super high. Back then, they were, they were pretty low, um, and he chose fishermen. And, he, and, it, and I like how he chooses fishermen because he says at verse of ni- uh, end of verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it's interesting that they don't ask, at least in the recorded record, what that means. <laughs> what? Fishers of men? We're going to be, oh, hey, Chuck, how you doing? Sorry about that. Uh, you know, um, what does it mean? I mean, could they have known enough spiritually to know he's talking about salvation? I don't know. Maybe, he's th- maybe they're thinking, because remember, they're all expecting a political Messiah here. They are not expecting a Savior that's going to die on the cross for their sins and raise from the dead three days later. That's not who they're expecting. They're expecting a political Messiah that's going to take them out from Roman bondage, Roman control. So that's who they're expecting. So it's very possible that they could be thinking, fishers of men, okay, men that will join our cause of numbers, and we will eventually be so strong we can overtake Rome. It's very possible. And so they didn't understand. And the point is for me is when God calls us, sometimes we have totally different ideas of what he's calling us to do. He says, I'm going to have you do this, or I'm going to have you do that in the very beginning. And you're like, great. And then you find out as you grow, that meant totally something different than what I thought at the time. But he knew what it, what it meant and what it, the significance of it. But notice he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How well can we be fishers of men related to salvation if we're not disciples, if we're not following him? How does, how's that working out for us? at times when we don't do that where the lordship issue is not there and we're just doing our own thing you're not catching much much men if you're not following him and and i I like the fact that there was no negotiation there was oh you gotta talk to my agent and we'll work something out you know it's football season right now getting ready and they're doing all their last minute contracts and guaranteed money and they're all jockeying for the best position within the contract there's no negotiation here There's something going on between them and God at this moment. The Spirit of God is saying, go after this man. This man is of me. Go after him wherever he goes. It's so important and it's so urgent right now. You need to drop everything. This is is their livelihood. This is the boats, all those things. I mean, I know that the the dad's hanging out, leaving and so forth. He's, He's leaving there. He's watching everything so forth. But still... They are just dropping everything. doesn't say they had a big, long conversation with their dad, working it out. They just dropped it all. And, you know, they weren't any worse for it. They weren't at a down... They, they weren't hurting. They, I mean, in other words, we should never feel sorry for them. Everything, everything that they were engaged in was for their best. And sometimes God calls us to drop stuff and to do something for him, and he doesn't, he's not really interested in a negotiation. You ever tried that? Let's negotiate this out, God. Because see, what I'm bringing to the table, you may not know, <laughs> is this, 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 and this. I don't know if you're aware of that. And so we can just put it in the writer of this contract that I get this at this time, and then I'll do this for you. No, we're slaves to God. We're bond servants. We're willing slaves uh, to him. And it makes total sense in the supernatural, to leave your net and follow him. Without, and, the, and the family's going, you're stupid, you're stupid, potentially. I'm talking in our lives. What are you doing? 
You're doing what? You're going on a missions trip to Africa? You've only been going to this church for a year or so, and now you're going on a missions trip? That's, that's unwise. You're spending money that you shouldn't spend, and there's all these things that come in that fight against the calling that's on our lives and what he's calling us to do. But they were never sorry. This verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, his, their father, mending their nets. Remember I told you in Ephesians 4, the word equip, equip the saints for the work of ministry, is the same word mending here. Putting something in its intended condition. Mending their nets, he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And I noticed there's two times, the very important thing on learning how to study the Bible is looking at repeating words. You have immediately in verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And then it says it again. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. There's no hesitation. I never think I'm pressuring people when I'm saying you need to follow Jesus right now. I know that they may not be ready. But I'm going to assume that they are ready and they need to make that decision right now. Because that may be, they may be 45 heartbeats away from being dead and no second chances. So I'll say, you know, you need to make that decision today, right now. Then let them tell me they're not ready. I'm not going to say, well, you know, you may not be ready, and you may want to just take your time, ease your way into this, uh, you know, think about it along, like you're trying to talk them out of it, which I do sometimes in another way that's healthy, I think. But this is like, you should, by the time you're done talking, you're like, well, the way you're talking, I don't know if I should get saved. I, I would have done it right now, but you're kind of making it sound like it'd be a dangerous unwise thing right now i need to think about it more no just do you want it when we preach the gospel it's there's a plan there's a problem there's a solution do you want it it's the easiest outline in the world the plan that god loves you he wants to have a personal relationship with you the problem is you're a sinner you've been less than perfect you've sinned against him thus you're not going to spend eternity with him there's a solution the cross and what jesus did for you on the cross now do you want it now many christians leave out the last one they don't want to for lack of a better phrase, close the deal. They just leave it hanging there. And the person's waiting. They don't know what to do. Well, we need to say, have boldness and say, do you want to receive Christ right now? Have you, do you know what it's like to do that? Let me explain what it's like to do that. And then we'll see if you're ready. Don't be afraid to ask someone if they're ready to make that decision. Verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. This is all prophesied in Isaiah that the Messiah would do this. Verse 24. Then his fame, so again, he's gaining popularity now. Then his fame went through all Syria, and they brought brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So he started doing what only the Messiah can do, healing people, teaching the truth, teaching about the kingdom of God, letting people know what the truth is. And it's the same calling for us. He's called us to cast out demons. Yes, he has. You, he, you may find yourself in a situation where there are a demon-possessed person and you have just as author- much authority as any person in the body of Christ to cast demons out of a person. I've done that before for three hours. 
I never would have wanted that, not looking for that. It wasn't in my day planner for that day. I, you know, I go to the store, I get gas, exorcism, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just, you know, I was in a prayer meeting, and this lady just flopped on the ground, just writhing, and like, oh, here we go, better cancel lunch, you know, and... <laughs> Three hours later, you know, it was a t- totally different story. But, you know, that could happen for any of us. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready for that at any moment, to pray for someone that's sick. Don't be afraid to pray and ask the Lord to heal this person. Because that's what we believe would be the best thing. And, but God may not heal them, but we can still ask, Lord, heal this person. And, and you never know. Peter and John weren't any more holier than us. Paul wasn't any more holier than us. And so we just need to ask for prayer. Do the, and, and I believe as we get closer to the end, there's going to be more and more supernatural represented. And I think part of that's going to require the church to unite. As the church unites together, I believe signs and wonders are going to happen more and more and more. The power is in our unity. And that's why the enemy's tried so hard to keep us fractured and separate. Because he knows if we come together, there's so much power in that. And, and things are going to happen. And so, man, it's just, we serve a supernatural God who wants to use supernatural disciples to make a difference in this world. Remember, the world's knowledge about anything against the gospel is about a mile wide and about an inch deep. You get them past their little trite sayings that they're parroting from things that they've seen online or whatever. You get them past that, and they're, they're absolutely clueless. I had a guy tell me, it's supposed to be this big, huge scientist guy. Know all this stuff, PhD and the whole thing. And I said, you know, I don't know anything. I'm a former breakdancer. I, I, I did the breakdancer card. You know, get his, not that he was putting his guard up then before, but now he's really like, okay, what do you got to say to me? And I said, can you help me with something? I just have this problem because... I don't know of a natural law that makes things go from simple to complex. And that would have to happen if evolution happened. In fact, there's another law that seems to say that they break down over time and get simpler and simpler. So what is, what is the mechanism, what is the law that makes something go from simple to complex and through all these um, variations actually add information to the, to the organism, add net information to the organism and to, to, to their DNA. And he, and he said, he goes, I, I have no idea the answer to that question. I said, but you know that that is your conclusion, but you haven't based anything on what you've said on science, and I'm the, the dumb breakdancer. So listen to me. I know about what this says. This is true, and you're a sinner. You're a scientific sinner. You <laughs> sin in a scientific, methodical way, probably. You know that you are disrespectful to your wife. You know you have bad motives. You're... Maybe you're on websites that are not good. Maybe you're stealing. Maybe you're, uh, you know, on, on uh, social media in an inappropriate way when you're married. Or maybe you're hiding your taxes. Or who knows? Are you trying to tell me you're not a sinner? you really saying that? I never try to convince people they're a sinner. There's a whole evangelistic approach to trying to get someone to believe they're a sinner. There's a difference between them believing they're a sinner and admitting they're a sinner. I already know that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict them of sin. Jesus said that. They know they're a sinner. Now, they may not admit it to me, but I know they're a sinner. So I don't have to get them to admit it for them to understand that they are fallen short and they're in danger of judgment because that's the big disconnect. People know they're sinners. What they don't believe or understand is that they're going to get judged for it. 
They see that totally separate. So you have to link those things together. So he wants us to, all, us to, all of us to be uh, fishers of men, all of us to be walking in the supernatural, all of us to be resisting temptation. Do you, ever, you know every time that we resist temptation, it blesses the heart of God? It bless, he sees it every single time. When we say no to something that our flesh really wants, and we say yes to, to, to him by, you know, putting the, by, by putting that down, by not gratifying the lust of the flesh, but walking in the Spirit, and by the, the, the law of the Spirit, I put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's worship. How many times do we think of resisting sin as worship? It is. And it blesses him, and he sees every single bit of it, even though no one else may. He sees it, and it blesses him. So let's use Jesus' example of quoting the Scriptures to our flesh, to demons, whatever, whoever's listening, you know. I don't know who's listening, but this is going to work on whoever hears it. It is written, and this is what God's word says, and I choose to, to believe and to obey what God's word said instead of what my flesh is yelling at me to do. And as I do that every day and I starve that sinful nature and I feed the good, the good nature or the, 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 my spirit, then I, it starts getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And those things that used to tear me down easily don't, don't nearly have the effect. Unless I turned to them, I gave them my full attention, and I threw away everything that I already know, and I just focus on doing that sin, then all that stuff's going to unravel. But I, that's a purposeful thing. If you just keep going on serving him and all those things, we're going to be getting holier and holier and holier as we quote the scriptures and follow him. Because he's worthy of nothing less. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that you've shown us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for resisting and, and having that as a model for us. We're grateful, Lord, that you never sin and you're our high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses, being, being tempted in all things, but yet be found without sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed yourself to be tempted so you know what we go through when we are tempted. Help us, Lord, to go to you and to live a holier and holier and holier life, Lord, by your grace and your purposes. Would you cleanse this church, Lord, in all of our homes, of all the filth that's there, all the websites that are there, all the DVDs that are there, all the things that don't please you, that cease, that cause our homes to not be the sanctuary that you've called it to be, that stumble our children by our bad example. Would you forgive us, Lord, of that sin, of those sins, and make us holy, Lord. We confess our sins to you. We confess our need to you now, each one of us here. In Jesus' name, amen.